Hi, I'm Scotty. Some of my favorite memories from college involve Baylor football. And many of those memories are accompanied by great memories of the banter that came with the territory. Yeah, it's the banter that makes college football so fun, and that's what I'm here to bring to you. Bears Illustrated presents Please Bear With Me. Welcome in to episode 10 of Please Bear With Me. I'm Scotty Swingler, and I can't believe we've made it already to 10 episodes. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Bears Illustrated's Tim Watkins and my good buddy, Michael Bartlemay, as we have sort of a roundtable discussion about what we saw on Saturday out of Baylor's football team against Oklahoma State and what we think the future could hold for Baylor football. But before we get into that conversation between me and those two guys, here is the good, the bad, and the ugly from Saturday's loss against Oklahoma State. The good. My favorite, Terrence Williams is back. Enough said. The bad. Tackling. Matt Rule promised Baylor fans a team that was physical and disciplined. And tackling has been a struggle all season and came to a climax on Saturday against the Cowboys. And the errors are in every area of tackling, from pursuit angles to getting feet squared and set to wrapping up and driving through. This defense doesn't make many good tackles and misses way too many. The ugly. Same song, same dance. The offensive line play. While some holes were opened up in the middle for big Terrence Williams and John Lovett to take advantage, Zach Smith had almost no time to throw. You know, I said a few weeks ago that this is the worst offensive line play I've seen since before Art Bryles arrived at Baylor, and this week only entrenched that opinion. It looks like, as I've said before, the offensive line will be Baylor's Achilles heel all season. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here is the latest news and notes concerning Baylor football. News and notes. Matt Rule said earlier today that John Lovett and Pooh Strickland both are questionable for this coming weekend. And both are pretty big losses. First, Lovett. Lovett looked really good when he was in that game in Stillwater. Ran really hard. He finally looks like he's figuring out how to make one cut, get upfield, get his pads low. 
and I just love the way he's been running the football. We should be okay with Williams, Hasty, and Ebner, but losing Lovett hurts for sure. And then Pooh Strickland, that loss cannot be emphasized enough. Already down Chris Platt, this receiving core is clearly leaning on Pooh Strickland because defenses are double teaming Denzel Mims. And if Pooh Strickland can't go, that is already going to further cripple an offense that really needs some more help on the outside. Terrence Williams appears to be fine despite a shoulder stinger. If you remember, Coach Rule said in his post-game press conference that Williams came out of the game because his shoulder was throbbing hurt. And he looked at Coach Rule and said, Coach, I am playing in this game. I am not coming out. And Coach Rule praised Williams for his effort and his toughness. It looks like Williams is out of the doghouse after having some issues during the bye week. And that is great news for Williams and for Baylor. Yesterday, Charlie Brewer tweeted, Stick with us, Baylor Nation. The freshman showed flashes of potential in his first significant playing time on Saturday and seems motivated to step up as a leader of this team, even though Zach Smith is the clear captain of this offense. Shout out to walk-on kicker Jay Sedwick. The true freshman was running the Baylor line just a few short weeks ago and handled kickoff duties for the Bears on Saturday, making one tremendously memorable tackle and kicking multiple touchbacks. Looks like he wasn't planning on being a Power 5 football player, but Sedwick may get to stay a member of Baylor's team for a full four years if his success continues. What an awesome story. Congrats, Jay. Rachel Barabo will run the Baylor line on Saturday and will carry the B flag in front of the freshman. Barabo is an ESPNU host who has championed the Changing the Narrative campaign concerning sexual assault on college campuses and has been a loud advocate for Baylor's football program and its current players. I am stoked to see her participate in Baylor's special pregame tradition. And for the first time on this show, I'm going to make a special plea. Miss Barabo, please come on the show. Please come talk to me on Please Bear With Me. I would love to get you for just 15 minutes to talk to Baylor fans about what you've seen around college football and what you've seen around Baylor's program. So please give me a message on Twitter or give me an email, and let's talk about getting you onto this podcast. Before we get into this week's conversation with my friends Tim Watkins and Michael Bartlemay, I just wanted to say a couple of things to you. If you haven't listened to the two episodes I put out last week, they are both interviews with former Baylor football players, one with former running back Silas Nasita and one with former cornerback Ryan Reed. Both guys are friends of mine and have been for a couple of years, and I was really happy to have them on, and I really like what they both had to say. It's worth your time to go listen to those two episodes. That being said, the Silas Nasita episode from last week is now my most listened to episode ever, and our numbers continue to look better and better. And for that, let me please say thank you. Thank you for making this possible. 
been a dream of mine for a long time to cover Baylor football, to be a member of the media, to talk to you week to week, and you are making that possible. Because you are listening, this is worth doing. And so thank you so very much for downloading and subscribing and listening to Please Bear With Me. This is the first time I've really asked anything of my listeners, but I'd really like to ask just a couple of things of you. First, if you like the podcast, please make sure you're following us on Twitter and on Facebook. Twitter, you can find us at bear underscore podcast, and if you search Facebook for Please Bear With Me, you'll find our page there as well. This is a great way for me to engage you, for me to let you know what's going on with the podcast. I try to put up little teasers for who might be coming on, and so if you're not following us on social media, please make sure to do that. Secondly, if you like the podcast, review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a review. Drop us five stars and say something nice. I don't ask for this kind of thing often. In fact, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable that I'm asking now, but it really will help me out. And so please go leave us a review. Say something nice, five stars. I would just die and adore you if you would do that. So thank you so much. If you know anybody who might make a great guest on the show, let me know. I've kind of gone through some of the people that immediately came to my mind when I started the podcast. I've contacted several people to see if they can come on the show. I've got a few other people that I'm trying to get on the podcast, but if you know a former player or a coach or someone in the media, etc., let me know. Shoot me a message. If you would like to make an introduction, that would be helpful. I just think there's a lot of people who could make really interesting guests on Please Bear With Me, and I'm running out of ideas, and I'm running out of relationships, just just to be honest with you. So if you know somebody who would make a good guest on Please Bear With Me, let me know. Let's make it happen. Let's get them on the podcast. That being said, when I started this podcast... I offered a chance for you to be on the show. I said, I would love to engage you, your thoughts, your ideas, and banter back and forth with you if you just email me your thoughts on each game. I have gotten a grand total of two emails all season. And so that part, that dream of mine for what this podcast would be hasn't quite come to fruition So if you listen week to week and if you hear me say something that you hate or you hear me say something that you love, let me know. Shoot me an email or or just tweet at the podcast. Let me know and then I can engage you on the show. I think that will really help make this thing even better. Let me say this. If you don't love the podcast, if there's something I've been doing that you don't like, if there's a segment you don't like, if there's something that you think I could improve upon, Let me know. Again, let me know your ideas and your opinions and how I can make this podcast better. If you don't like the show, please don't give us a crappy review. Just just let me know what I can do to make it better. Sincerely, I will do my best to give you what you want. In fact, I've got one friend named Drew who's been very, very helpful. He's given me three or four different texts after various episodes and said, hey, this was cool. This made the podcast really nice. Or man, maybe you should steer away from this and go more towards this idea. And that has been extremely helpful. Drew Humphrey, shout out. So if you think you have an idea for how the podcast could improve, let me know. And last but not least, 
let me just give another shout out to some people that have made this possible. First of all, Bears Illustrated is what they they have stepped in so that this podcast will no longer be a football season only podcast. We are going full blown Baylor Athletics podcast. In just a few weeks, I'm going to have some guys on to preview the basketball seasons coming up. So I that is not because of me. That is because Bears Illustrated made that possible, and Bears Illustrated has given me their full support. And so if you aren't subscribed to like a Sikkim 365 or you know the premium membership on diehards or whatever it is, if you don't have a go-to source for your Baylor athletics information, I would ask you to look into signing up to be a VIP on scout.com and getting that access at Bears Illustrated. We are working really hard to put together a cool team of people who are passionate about Baylor sports and who will do a good job covering them for you. We added Andrew Miner to the team last week. Andrew's a friend of mine from Baylor. He is the guy who came up with the we are going to win sign if you saw that on TV or at the stadium when we were at Baylor. And he's going to be covering a lot of Baylor basketball for us. He's a great dude. He's a smart dude, insightful guy, good writer. And we're going to be adding a couple of more people coming up here that are really talented and really special. And so, you know, I don't want to take you away from another website because the guys at Second 365, people at ODB, the people, you know, over at Die Hard, Shihan J. Raja is one of my good friends. So I don't want to take you away. Please don't unsubscribe from one of them to subscribe for us, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if you can subscribe, to Bears Illustrated, if you can afford to do it, and especially if you don't have a go-to place for your inside information on Baylor Athletics, please consider subscribing to Bears Illustrated. Sean Scoobel is a good friend of mine. He made the logo for the podcast, and he is an independent graphic design artist who lives just outside of Waco, and he has told me he will give 10% off to anybody who orders and mentions Please Bear With Me podcast when they order with him. That's a great opportunity. If you're trying to start a small business, if you have a church group, whatever, and you need some graphic design work done for a t-shirt, for a business card, for a logo, give Sean a holler. You can find him at S-K-U-B-A-L, Scoobal Designs, one word, on Instagram. Message him there. Let him know you heard about him on the podcast and order with him. And lastly, my cousin, Travis Thompson, made all of the music you hear on this show, the incredible music, the transition tunes, the intro song, that little bit I just had playing behind the news and notes. Travis did all of that. He's super talented, and he is trying to make his way out there as an EDM artist. You can find his stuff if you search Iron Kids, like Iron Man, but with kids, so Iron Kids. Two of the songs I would recommend to you to go listen to, one is called Find Me, featuring Sarah Tracy, and the one that you just kind of heard in the background is called Stream of Consciousness, and that's one he just kind of BS'd, y'all, and it's the best thing. So seriously, go check out Iron Kids and give Travis a holler. Let him know you enjoy his music. Thanks for listening to that. Now that I've gotten all of those things out of the way, I just want to one more time say thank you for listening to Please Bear With Me. Keep listening. Give me your thoughts. Remember, Scott Swingler... S-C-O-T-T-S-W-I-N-G-L-E-R at gmail.com subject podcast for any of that or you can find us on Twitter at bear underscore podcast 
and get in touch with me. Thank you so much. Here we go. I got on Skype and talked to Tim Watkins and Michael Bartome, and we just had a roundtable discussion. We're 0-6. We lost Oklahoma State in a bad way. What do we do from here? Here's that conversation. Okay, so cool. let's start off. Michael, you go first. Tim, you can go second. And then I'll go third with simply our observations, thoughts, reaction to that loss against Oklahoma State. Michael? Cool. So, uh, like I said... My caveat on this is that I watched this game while sitting either in a sports bar in a casino in Perkins, Oklahoma, or on my phone in the back of a church during a wedding. But I've got about four takeaways so far from the game. Uh, The first one being, and this is going to be kind of surprising probably, I think we saw a glimpse of what Matt Rule wants that offense to look like. Uh, I think if you go back to that first drive, like we ran the ball actually effectively for the first time this entire season. Uh, and you started to see some of those quick passes, some of those pieces of the offense that he really wants to see of that running game and meshing that with a passing game and what that's going to look like, which was nice to see. Um, Obviously, long-term, that didn't turn out for the whole game, but that first drive was really, I think, a microcosm of what we want. Uh, Second piece was that this secondary, which is young, was pushed, challenged, and lost. Um, We played against the best wide receiving core in America, and I think... Uh, Despite the growth that our young secondary has showed, uh, our DBs got absolutely torn up in that game. Um, Third, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Our safeties struggle against the run. And my problem with that is we tend to put a lot of the onus on the safeties, and there's seven dudes in front of them. Our safeties are being forced to make a lot of plays against the run. And that's a problem in and of itself. And I think that we're avoiding that problem by talking about the safeties a lot. Uh, the last one is the two things that all they require are discipline and toughness to do well and effort for in football is tackling well and special teams play. And those are two things that Matt Rule always talks about is like, oh man, we're going to be good on special teams and we're going to like, we're going to have good fundamentals. And you'll see moments of good kick coverage. You'll see I haven't seen hardly any moments of tackling well, but I've been very, very frustrated by those two things being big talking points of Matt Rule's discipline and toughness. And I don't think we've seen hardly any of that come through on the field in areas that you would expect a first-year coach to be able to make an impact in. Awesome. Mr. Tim Watkins, give us your input, please, sir. It was a beating. It was a beating. Baylor was beaten up physically on both sides of the ball. They had no answer at all when it came to James Washington, uh, Marcel Aitman, and, and as Mike said, the, the the best wide receiver core, at least in the Big 12. And you'd be tough to find a better duo, nevertheless, trio of seniors when you include Chris Lacey. I mean, these were, these were fifth-year seniors going against freshmen and sophomore in the secondary. And, and that was the difference in the game. Today. You saw it all across the field where Oklahoma State has a junior or a senior, a fifth-year senior, and Baylor's trying to match up against a freshman and a sophomore. And we were beaten. You know, every game before this one, we had the ball with a chance to at least tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter. 
This was always the game that I was most worried about because offensively, I, I believe Oklahoma State has the best offense in the Big 12 and probably one of, if not the best offense in the nation. Justice Hill is special. He had 14 carries, 117 yards. Baylor bottled him up outside of that one big 79-yard rush, but they had, as a group, 276 yards rushing, 7.3 yards per carry. Even if you take away that 79-yarder, they gashed us whenever they wanted to get some tough runs and then threw over. They averaged 23.6 yards per completion. You just can't do that. You can't win the game. And and to Michael's point, I think offensively, we, we did a lot of the right things. You know, we averaged, uh, we, we had possession of the ball for over 35 minutes. We had the possession of the ball 20 minutes in the first half. And, and we were down 28 to 10, or 35 to 10, excuse me. And they just had big play after big play after big play. We would get a decent drive and settle for a field goal. This team still doesn't know how to finish drives. They struggle in the red zone terribly. They get two or three additional touchdowns. I still don't even know if this is a game because I think Oklahoma State could have named their score defensively against the Bears. This is a, a very, very young Baylor team. They went on the road against a team ready for them a senior-laden team ready for them, and they got their butt whooped. There's there's really not much else to say about it. Yeah, so here, for starters, let's get this out of the way. We looked really, really bad. Uh, the worst we've looked all season, and I think that includes against Liberty. Uh, this Oklahoma State is uh, team is really good, but we made them look, I think we made them look much better than they actually are with our poor play. So before I get into that, bright spots. A little bit of optimism. Terrence Williams is back. This is the first time this season we saw the 1,000-yard rusher from last season come to life, and he averaged 9.5 yards a carry. So I love the effort from T-Will getting downfield. John Lovett looked good on a few runs as well when he was still in there. Second, got to give a shout-out to true freshman walk-on kicker Jay Sedwick, who crushed it in his first game as a college football player. I love stories like that. And watching him get that tackle and kick touchbacks was awesome. And Connor Martin played really well for his first game as a full-time punter on top of kicking field goals. Uh, averaged 46 yards a punt. I thought he looked really confident and comfortable, so I've been impressed with his effort. That being said, that's about all the good I saw out of Baylor's team yesterday. And I've got big questions on both sides of the ball, so let's start with defense. Raja Preciado, y'all, was surprisingly a downgrade from Davion Hall at safety. I, I counted, and he whiffed on at least five tackles that I counted where he should have had a big stop and just missed. He completely blew his assignment in the red zone in the second quarter uh, on that McCleskey touchdown. He was should have been in the right spot, completely just blew it. The front seven of the defense, for the most part, failed to create any pressure, which is, has been kind of an up-and-down roller coaster this season. I thought our corners, believe it or not, I thought they played admirably. Again, kind of like you guys said, you've got true freshmen and a converted wide receiver and another sophomore in Graylin Arnold playing against the best receiving core maybe in the country. Obviously, they were outmatched in every way. On offense, Zach Smith reverted to an unsure, inaccurate, turnover-prone quarterback that sometimes lurks underneath those moments of greatness. And although he played poorly, we got to admit, most of his struggles had to do with the offensive line, which once again was horrendous. I said a couple weeks ago that this is the worst offensive line Baylor has had since pre-Art Bryles, and that thought just keeps getting validated week after week. 
And the receivers on the team underwhelmed. They doesn't look like we know how to run a lot of routes very well. Nobody created separation except Nicholson on just a couple of plays. Even Denzel Mims, who's looked really promising, took a step backwards. But here's my biggest question mark on this team, and maybe this is where we can start the conversation. It's coaching. It's coaching. And I love Matt Rule, and I love what he brings off the field, and I love him as a guy, and I think his vision will work. But here's some questions I have. Here's some of my concerns. Every week we've taken timeouts because we're simply not lined up correctly. And it's happened on offense, defense, and special teams this season. I don't understand the Zach Smith fake injury, trot Charlie Brewer out for a trick play that is weird. I don't, that's two times in a row. I don't understand what is going through anybody's head when it concerns Charlie Brewer coming in for a couple plays. I don't understand why that first drive, like Michael mentioned, I thought we ran the ball right up the gut and looked really good doing it. And then the next two or three drives, we tried all these jet sweeps and tossing it to the outside some more. Don't understand why we can't keep going up the middle. Don't understand why we can't score touchdowns unless we're 30 to 40 yards outside the end zone. We should not have scored a touchdown in that game. We got really lucky that a fumble at the goal line popped right into Tristan Ebner's hands. I don't understand why we fail to move the ball quickly when we go down by 20 or more. At that point, you got to, you know, clock management, possessing the ball, running the ball down their throat. You got to start throwing the ball. You got to start getting the ball downfield. You go down by that much. You got to play to win. And so I'll, I'll toss this up to you guys. Would you agree there's a lot of questionable questionable looks from the coaching end? So I'll take it. Um, well, I, I mean, my last takeaway was, was a coaching question. I mean, again, the only thing that it takes to play special teams and tackle well is discipline and toughness which are the two things that Matt Rule has preached, and we haven't seen any of that. Um, and we can, add, we can add penalties onto that too. Right, and you can add penalties onto that. So I'm, I'm very – I have had the, – the lineup questions really bother me. That's, the, that's probably been the single biggest coaching thing that has bothered me, has been lining up and like the fact that we can't put the right people on the field to kick a field goal. I mean, we, we took a timeout on an extra point because we couldn't figure out who was supposed to be out there. That's a problem. Um, but, you know – I will say, you know, we talk about struggles in the red zone. Uh, I vividly remember multiple years under Browns going, well, dang it, we're within 10 yards of the goal line. Not sure if we'll be able to get it in. That ha- I believe that that happened the entire time RG3 was in Stillwater when he won the Heisman. I believe there were about six times we were inside the 10-yard line and went four times at the goal line and couldn't score. So I'm not sure how to feel about that. With the, as bad as this offensive line is, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a coaching problem that we can't score in the red zone. That's time when you need to be able to pony up and put your big boys out there and get some yards. And I just don't think we can do that physically. Uh, but the lineup questions and tackling and special teams, absolutely a coaching concern. But, I mean, at you know year one, hopefully something changes. I don't, I don't know that we can sit here and point a ton of fingers yet. There is a fine line between wanting to set a tone, build an attitude, uh, create an identity, and just plain old stubbornness. And I think Saturday we saw a little bit of stubbornness. You made the point of down by 20 and we're still snapping the ball with five seconds Exactly. To go. One of the things that Matt Rule discussed when, when he was hired, he's like, we're going to adjust tempo. We're going to change tempo. We're going to go fast. We're going to go slow. I don't remember a single snap all season 
well, we've gone up-tempo. That's a problem to me because I think that's something that Rule and his staff sold um, and I was excited about. I love multiple tempo offenses. I think there's some, some that's a dangerous weapon using tempo and they're leaving that on the sidelines. I think the, the, the problems in the red zone, they are I, obviously highlighted by the lack of, of talent, lack of depth, lack of, of senior leadership on the offensive line. It's a bad offensive line. Um, especially when Mo Porter went out for a few series after that opening touchdown drive. Uh, Josh Malin is, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a great kid. I'm sure his mommy and daddy love him. I'm sure he's got great fan friends. Uh, I, I hope he has a girlfriend. I'm never going to talk ill will about any kids, but, but, um, he's, a, he's a tight end. He was a defensive lineman two years ago. Uh, there, there was a reason why he wasn't recruited as a four star guard or a four star tackle. Uh, those are reasons we're seeing now. Uh, we're seeing youth. We're seeing mistakes. Offensively, the, the wide receivers just disappointed the hay out of me yesterday, uh, Saturday. It was bad. It was bad. The way to beat Oklahoma State all year is to challenge them vertically down the field. We did nothing down the field. Everything was underneath. Everything was crossing around. It's the only time we looked downfield that I saw was that play-action hopeful bomb after we got it after the muff punt and Smith took a bad drop. His feet weren't set and ready to throw it. And strip sack. O Oklahoma State ball. They get it. They score touchdowns. We took another shot, but it was Tony Nicholson over. trying to throw it to Charlie Brewer on the sideline. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that. And Brewer gave up had on it, the man. route. Brewer gave up on the route. That was a great play call. Hey, I loved it. He Nick had it. Nicholson he had threw it. a darn good ball. The route. It, was a, oh, it was a real good ball. You're a quarterback. You're a quarterback. What are you worried about overrunning the ball? You're a quarterback. Run, run through the ball. I mean, come on. Yeah, that, I, I, I'm sorry. I forgot about that. That and the, oh, jeez. So, co coaching wise, I mean, I, I, I'm really, really, really trying to see the big picture and what they're trying to do with the personnel and the talent that they have. There's a lot of holes on this roster, and I, I've written about it a little bit, where what Baylor wants to do offensively is centered around a power running a game, which we finally have Terrence Williams back. To, and you're right, Scott. He looks great. He looked great. He ran angry. He ran motivated. Rule said after the game that, that late in the third quarter, he had a real bad shoulder stinger. Rule wanted to take him out, and Terrence Williams was like, no, I'm finishing this game. He's a man. We've talked about it before. It's a difference between John Lovett being an 18-year-old and Terrence William being of legal drinking age. He's a man. And he ran like it. And Lovett looked good. But offensively, we don't have the personnel to be able to block that way. They want to involve the tight ends. We finally, hey, let's give a round of applause for the tight ends. They got some targets. They got three receptions. Jordan Fierbacher had two receptions. Uh, Tyler Gaines? Gaines? I, I saw um, it, but I, I don't I'm remember sorry, the name. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce your name right off the top of my head. It's uh, uh, number 80. Uh, the only reason why I remember that is because I'm a Jerry Rice fanatic. Um, and he obviously is too because they don't give tight ends number 80 very often. Three catches by the tight ends. That's great. But I got to be honest. Uh, our worst game was when we involved the tight ends in the passing game. So I don't know if it's a fad or something. Uh, but we don't have any tight ends that can catch. We don't have any tight ends that can create space and create separation and get open. Uh, Fuerbacher caught one little quick route. He caught the uh, the Bryle special of the, uh, the the play action fake and 
He's been uh, blocking for 45 straight snaps, and all of a sudden he just goes and he catches something. Great. It's a great play. We we could run one to three of those a game, and, and that's what our Browns did. And we're still not involving the tight ends. We're still not involving the running games. There's still lack of innovation, lack of running. Um, Denzel Mims was a ghost. Tony Nicholson did okay. Everybody else, I don't even know who even to answer to. Uh, Jared Atkinson did nothing. Gavin Holmes, RJ Sneed, they didn't do anything. They didn't get open. And Smith didn't find them if they were open. And he was trying to find them. And the running game looked good, but we couldn't we couldn't complete a pass. So you're never going to score in the Big 12 if you just rely 100% on running. Well, and that's almost my question. You, you, talk, you mentioned in there, you mentioned personnel. Um, and and trying to do what f- best fits your personnel with that offensive line, you got to try to take some shots and you got to try to get the ball out and um to those receivers because you're not going to be able to run on the edge. I mean, how many times have we tried to run on the edge and it just gets bottled up every single time? Whether that's Nicholson on a reverse or a, or a sweep to one of the running backs, that just does not work with this team. Yeah, they've got a lot of big offensive linemen that were recruited for a very different reason and purpose um that's one of the reasons why we see so many former tight ends and freshmen playing because they're actually been recruited by this staff and moved to this staff because he wants smaller more agile linemen and we're not there yet and the flip side of that of not having an offensive line is can they give smith or brewer whoever's behind center enough time to throw deep you would like to see the play action work and we really didn't see a lot of that especially deep I mean, missing Chris Platt, it's killing this offense in terms of taking deep shots. Mims can do it, but when you have a safety rolling over the top of him every single play, he's not going to get deep. And Mims was pretty much a, 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 a star decoy Saturday because they kept sending him deep, sending him deep, sending him deep, trying to take the top off, and they said, okay, we're going to roll a safety over the top. I'm confident that they had a lot more pass plays called that were checked to run plays because they had five guys in the box and they had two deep safeties and they're showing three or four deep looks and they're just begging Baylor to run the ball. Yeah, I think at some point you have to ask the question, you know, and Matt Rule continues to say, you know, we're trying to win this year for Taylor Young and Davion Hall and whatnot. And I think at some point you have to just look at it and say, no, we're not. And we're we're not. And and to an extent, I have to say that 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 that's okay. Uh, and I hate to say that, but because you're talking about winning with the personnel we have versus you know building now, I, I don't think that we can win now while trying to build late while trying to win later with what we're trying to do long term. Because either you try to install this system and you try and do it right now, and you try and teach the young guys on their way, or you scrap it and you go with what we can do. And I'm just I'm not sure that those two things can mesh right. Uh, and if you're trying to do both. And that's a good point, but I think going back to what Tim said a little bit ago, I think one of the big questions I have is I understand you have to start building. You can't just – you have to build what you want. You have to show what you want because you have to be able to show recruits, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're building towards. You have to be able to start installing this mindset and this system from day one. But I think going back to what Tim said, we're seeing one side of, I think, what we were promised – and I think there's always going to be, at least for the next couple of years, I think, especially being in Texas, you're going to get wide receivers that can run four threes out of high school. 
And so to say, well, we're just going to be a ground and pound pro style team. Heck, Alabama has started running spread looks and started going up tempo when they need to because they have a mobile quarterback and they always have a couple talented guys outside. So I think, while while I think you're right, there's to some extent we have to say this is this is about establishing who we are now. We're establishing something that I don't think still completes the picture. Or at least we're getting a skewed picture because how well did we throw it against Oklahoma? Yeah. It's it's tough because your speed guy just had reconstructive knee surgery. Uh, who else is the real true burner on this team other than Mims? Um, having lost Chris Platt for the season dynamically changes what this offense can do, especially when there's a safety over Mims all the time. I mean, Pooh Strickland is not a deep threat. He's a... Uh, what what do they call it in the NFL? A smooth runner. He's not fast. You know, he catches a ball. He's good at getting open. I think he's a, a probably our most refined and polished route runner. He's got good to solid hands, but he's not going to break the lid off the top of a defense. R.J. Snead is not that guy. Gavin Holmes is not that guy. Tony Nicholson is not that guy. I mean, we don't have that guy right now. Hopefully next year we do. When Chris Platt comes back, when Jackson Gleason, a, a, a three-star wide receiver out of Mansfield, uh, who is as fast as Chris Platt, he's one of the top 400-meter uh, uh, runners in the state of Texas, i.e. the nation, um, he's as fast as Platt, and he's getting better as a route runner. There's still a lot way. We actually had an update with him on, on BearsIllustrated.com uh, Sunday morning. Um, Gabe Brooks, one of the recruiting analysts, actually was at the game, the Martin-Mansfield game. Uh, which, funny enough, is about five minutes away from my house, and I was home with sick kids, so couldn't go. Yay, have children. It's great. And um, they're recruiting for these type of roles. They just don't have it yet. They don't have it yet. So I, I think we will see more deep shots. We will see more play action. We saw that when Chris Platt was healthy. We haven't seen that as much since. So the identity of this team wanting to ground and pound and then go over the top. I mean, that's what Kansas State has done for years. I mean, going back to Colin Klein, going back to Jake Walters, it, that's what they are. They would always be one of the top teams in the Big 12 in yards per completion or yards per attempt, besting even Baylor and TCU when they were running spread as well. That's what Baylor wants to do, and right now we just don't have the person to do it. I mean, to be fair, if you take the roots of what the Bryles offense was, it was ground and pound and throw it over the top. I mean, that team was built on the inside zone. Uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the other thing about it is, is that, I mean, particularly on Saturday, I mean, we've had games where, you know, we can work those underneath routes and work till the longer ones. I think on Saturday, the pro part of the problem is, is that we tried to throw those underneath routes to get Zach Smith kind of in a rhythm. And when your receivers drop, you know, just about every other ball you throw, it's, it feels like sometimes, you know, when they are open, uh, it's really, really hard to get your quarterback in a rhythm to be able to start taking those longer shots. Uh, and that's, that's I think, what really stuck to me was, I mean, you can look for that longer ball, but, man, if your quarterback's not even comfortable throwing a 10-yard curl because he's scared his receiver's going to drop it and he's going to get, you know, he's going to take one on the chin every time he drops back, that's a little, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and I think also, you know, I think the offensive line just hinders the ability for installing any kind of identity right now. And, and here's a... Here's something I had brought up to me earlier this week. I don't remember who mentioned it to me, so I apologize if that person is listening, but I don't remember who mentioned this to me. But somebody mentioned to me, maybe 
And again, Michael, this goes back to what you said. Are you trying to win this year, or are you trying to build something great for the next three, four? We are trying to install NFL blocking schemes with dudes who are incapable I, of it. With high and, schoolers and former tight ends. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 under, and under Bryles, like you said, it was a lot of zone blocking. And it was a lot of pull one guard and hit the guy closest to you. I mean, I mean, and it and it worked because it's simple. Because if you're anything athletic and you're kind of big, you can do those three or four types of blocks. It's beauty and it's it was beauty and its simplicity. Right, and so and so part of the criticism I've heard from um, this guy in particular early this week, but a few people is, man, Matt Rule is trying to build an NFL offensive line with NFL complexity out of guys who can't do it. And furthermore, I've heard it asked, does that work in the Big 12? I kind of think that's a silly question, but it's a valid question. Because the Big 12, as much as we're trying to prepare, and Matt Rule said, we're, we're preparing players to play in the league. We're going to recruit well because we're, we're going to get guys in the NFL. And I believe him. But does that win you a Big 12 championship? I don't know because the last several haven't been that way. My biggest concern about this, we're going to put them in the league, we're going to put them in the league, we're going to have this NFL-style scheme, is there's a set number of teams that can run an NFL-style team at the college level. And the reason why that is is because there's only so many players that are good enough that you can dominate the fronts that you need to dominate and the way you need to do it to do it with an NFL-style scheme. The reason why Bryle's offense worked really well is because you could find a kid like Tevin Reese, who was like a two-star tight. I think he came. Didn't he come out one as star a tight, tight end? end? A one. He was star a tight end in a veer offense. Yeah, and he had I think like nine or ten career receptions. Exactly. You can find a guy like that and make him incredible because your offense is built to do those sorts of things. I have concern, and Texas could probably run a pro-style scheme and recruit well for it if they really committed to it and did it right. Because they can, and they can recruit for that. I have concerns about a school like Baylor, a school like Baylor's ability to be able to run that kind of scheme and be really successful with it just because of the recruiting nature that comes with it. Uh, I don't think Baylor's ever going to be a super, super elite recruiter. And so because of that, I have concerns about the ability to run an NFL-style scheme at the, col- at the college level. So what you're saying is you, you see we don't have the bodies for it now, but maybe we can't even get the bodies for it period. I have concerns about the abilities to get those kinds of guys. Um, and that's just because I think when you're playing at Baylor, you have to look for ways to get creative to, you have to be creative to, to win a lot of games and you have to do things differently and you have to look for inconsistencies, uh, kind of like a little bit of a money ball approach. And if you're just going to say, Hey, we're going to line them up and knock them out. Uh, I'm not sure you can get the guys that can do that on a consistent basis. I I am ready and willing to be proven wrong. I have that concern. I had that concern when they said we're going to run an NFL-style scheme starting off. But uh, I'm here for the ride. I'm here to trust the process along the way. I think the key with the, the, the offensive line is going to be time. We're not going to be able to learn all of the things that we need to learn in a season. Probably not even two seasons. It's gonna. I, I'm still looking at season three as the breakout year, and we saw that uh, at rule with rule at Temple, uh, winning two games in year one, six games in year two, ten games in year three, and year four. The key is, in three years, 
you're going to have juniors and seniors in their third year of the offense, not freshmen and sophomore in their first year of the offense. So the hope would be to be able to build the line with these freshmen and sophomores that you've recruited this year uh, in the 2017 class, bringing another large group of, 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 senior, of, of uh, high schoolers uh, for the 2018 class. Those guys are going to be in their second year of the system. Some hopefully most of them will be redshirt sophomores and redshirt freshmen and not juniors. Um, being able to have multiple years in a scheme, being able to understand the, the complexities of that, you want to be able to build those guys. And then hopefully in year three and in year four, that's when the recruiting starts to backfill. Remember, when Art Bryles took over in his second, third, fourth, fifth year, where what was he recruiting with? He was recruiting with Floyd Casey Stadium. He was recruiting with a bowl, uh, bowl streak of huh, way too long. He was recruiting with no Heisman Trophy in the cabinet. Rule has state-of-the-art facilities and t and tools to recruit. I am most concerned and something that that well only time will tell is strength and conditioning because I haven't seen the same caliber of athletes and I haven't seen the same caliber of strength and size and speed that our former amazing amazing strength and coordinator could develop this new staff um I have been left wanting so to speak and that will be interesting to see what they can do with an, a full season i haven't really decided if it's not a good fit and they're just group of five guys and not power five conference guys that could be it well it's funny you bring that up because the per those of us who followed baylor football closely obviously knew um what a incredible asset Kaz kazadi was but even though the perception was, well, Baylor's a speed team. They've got no strength. They've got no, as Matt Rule might say, you know, this is this wasn't a tough team. Whatever the language might be, but those guys, we we've seen some beast come through Baylor for the last five six years because of that strength and conditioning team we had. So that's a very good point. Okay, we've talked a lot call, about. You want to call Cyril Richardson not not strong? <laughs> you you want to call uh, Danny Watkins? Not Andrew strong. Billings. You want to call JD Watt, JD Walt. I mean, the the list goes on and on um, of the dudes that it Kaz and his his tremendous staff built. I'm seeing it's alarming a lack of dudes this year, and maybe it's because all of their guys are, are freshmen and sophomores, and it's tough to ask an 18 and 19 year old dude to be a dude when they're not a five star recruit going to Alabama. Well, I've got a story about that real quick, and then I'm going to try to get us back on this season. But um, story about Kaz Kazadi, I went to China Spring, and so when Mike Hicks got to Baylor uh, to play safety for Art Bryles, I was taking, a, I think, a health class in high school with our secondary coach at China Spring. And he said, he told me one day, he said, man, we couldn't get Hicks over 170. You know, he was like 5'10", little, little guy. He said, man, we couldn't get him over 170. He was at Baylor a semester, not even a full season, a semester, and Kaz Kazadi had him up at 195. Hmm. And yeah. and and he was just marveling at, I don't know how you got that skinny kid that big because, man, that they had something good going on. But anyway, let's get let's get back to this season because we've talked a lot about the future and long term and coaching staff and blah dee blah dee blah. Uh, what what's left this season? Hopefully, the first win of the Matt Rule era. 
I think there are winnable games still on this schedule. Um, you know, Kansas and Iowa State, I mean, Kansas especially, is not good. They're really, 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 really bad. Even a, uh, a trip to Kansas, I, I still think if, if the Bears go in there winless, they might be favored in that game. Iowa State, um, I still don't know about them. Um, they obviously upset Oklahoma. They destroyed Kansas this weekend. Um, are they that good? I still have questions about Tech. I still think Baylor has a chance against West Virginia, against Texas, against Texas Tech. It's going to be tough. You have to pull off a miracle. You have to play significantly better than you did uh, against Oklahoma State. We play like we did against Oklahoma. I, I think we beat one of those three teams. Um, it's we got to win one. We got to win one. Hopefully two or three. Anything more than that, you're getting greedy. I see people on Twitter saying, "Well, last year Baylor started six and zero and lost our last six, so we lost our first six this year, so we're going six and zero. No, we're not. No, don't <laughs> just just stop. Don't be don't don't put that expectation on these kids. It's it's, just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, really, the hope is you get that one, so you don't spend an entire eight months of spring, of winter, of spring, summer, early fall. Are you going to win? Are you going to win? When are you going to win? When are you going to win? It'll be a year and a half, almost two years since we won our, our uh, last regular season game at that point. So, yeah, we just, just, just please God win one. Just win one. So, I, I actually think that we'll probably beat Kansas. I would not be surprised if we beat West Virginia or Texas, one of the two because I think that we do play significantly better at home. I just think there's something to be said for that. It's hard to play in Stillwater. I think everybody knows that, especially during their homecoming game. But let me present to you a scenario that would make me so happy. This is my dream scenario, and it involves I us only exactly winning one game. I know exactly what you're about to say. I know exactly where you're going. I would this. love to go to Fort Worth and TCU ah. be 11-0, and, <laughs> and us be 0-11. And, and I would love to go into TCU and win that game. To finish... If we go 1-11 and and we beat TCU and keep them from going to the Big 12 championship game or keep them from going to the playoff, that would bring me the most joy possible of any human being ever. And if it could be 61-58, just put the little cherry on top. That'd be great. But I'm gonna. Just, that's my dream this season right now. Michael, and it's a dream, dude, because I think <laughs> you're that guy that Tim was just talking about that's on Twitter and you just want to say, shut up. I, I think the odds of Baylor going six and six, or actually five and seven, um, are are stronger than them beating TCU for their lone win of the season in Fort Worth. Uh, in Fort Worth, it's uh, TCU looks really good. They no, look, I know they, it's I know it's a pipe dream. Uh, I'm I'm yeah, aware that it's a pipe dream. I'm fine. With it would that. be amazing. I work in Fort Worth. I live in in, in the DFW area. I work with probably out of 130 employees, there's probably 40 TCU graduates. The things that have been said to me over the last year, really two years, are not safe for print. And it's so yeah, I, I agree with you. That would I would I would go into work that next day head to toe in a green I will go to Goodwill and buy the Limus Green suit gold shirt green tie i'll wear a bruiser head i don't care i would get that on the record scotty 
Write it down. If we beat TCU, I'm going to go full jack blank. <laughs> Just completely obnoxious. And I I hope that, that, that all of my TCU coworkers would actually expect nothing less from me. No, I think I do think we'll beat I think we'll beat either West Virginia or Texas at home. And I think that we will beat Kansas. I don't think we're gonna beat Iowa State. I've been a Matt Campbell believer for, for a while now. I think Matt Campbell's a really good coach and I think we're starting to see the beginning of that. I think we got two wins probably left. We we might beat tech. I I don't think we will. I don't think we'll beat TCU. I think that problem we might win t- too. Problem with tech is they're gonna play just like Oklahoma State just did. Yeah. Their defense won't look as good, but they're going to do the exact same thing, and they're going to spread the ball out to multiple receivers. They're going to run up-tempo. And that was the other thing that frustrated me about Saturday. At least three of the big plays, at least three of them that I can remember. The long touchdown run, uh, the deep pass early, early in the game down the sideline that Washington barely stepped out of bounds and should have scored if the ball had been placed a little bit better. And there was at least one more. We weren't lined up. Mm-hmm. And it, it literally looked like we were not prepared to d- to line up when only five seconds had gone off the play clock. It looked like we were waiting for them to run it down. And we had a bye week to prepare. And again, that just brings back up coaching questions, and we don't need to get into all that. I'm, but. I'm truly baffled by that one because it's not like they haven't coached against hurry-up, no-huddle teams in the past. Like, look at the teams they played against. Tom Herman at Houston – uh, Willie Taggart at South Florida. I mean, name off a million American athletic teams that run a hurry-up, no-huddle offense. I was just bad. That was confusing as all get out. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good, and there was a lot of defensive issues. And that's that's always been my concern for Phil Snow's defense. It's a very, very complicated defense that asks a lot of the uh, the linebackers, and you know. Taylor, Taylor Young and Clay Johnson didn't have their best games. Um, Eric Ogord really didn't show much. Jalen Pidgey was a ghost. The safeties, uh, they, they're, they're, they're not good. And um, the whole defense struggled. I think the defensive tackles played okay. Uh, Roy, Hunt, Lewis, Johnson, they had their moments. Um, we got gashed uh, really on the outside runs on that 79-yarder. That wasn't really a... a at power run inside. I think our defensive tackles did a good job. Outside of that, whole defense, was, they just weren't lined up. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And I, I don't know if they weren't prepared for what Oklahoma State was doing or just the pure talent that that offense has. Um, that's just a special offense. Mason Rudolph is a tremendous quarterback. And, I mean, he wasn't even – he didn't even have his A game. And he still threw for 400 and way too many yards. I think it was 460, 459. He was brilliant. R- Rudolph's tremendous. Those receivers are tremendous. Hill's tremendous. I I don't think it was that. There's obviously a mismatch in talent. Yeah. I don't think the mismatch was that dramatic. I don't think we were prepared for what they were going to throw at us. And that is concerning because we had a bye week. Because Oklahoma's offense has talent. And, and we got gashed a couple of times for big plays, but not every other play. I mean, we at least looked prepared and competent to defend Oklahoma. And Oklahoma State might have a better offense than Oklahoma, but if they do, it's marginal. It's not tremendously that much better than what Oklahoma threw at us. Well, I would say this. 
Oklahoma's best receivers are freshmen. Two of their best running backs are freshmen. They have the same youth problems that Baylor has. Oklahoma State, I mean, they've got juniors and seniors and fifth-year seniors out there. Um, they know exactly where to be, when to be. I mean, how many times did Mason Rudolph throw the ball 50 yards into the air? And it just floats down, just like a little perfect little butterfly, right down into whatever right receiver or tight end was just standing right under it in perfect, perfect form. I mean, I mean he's an NFL he, quarterback. He is, he is. Baker Mayfield's a lot of things. Um, he's not an NFL quarterback, unless, you know, maybe a professional CFL quarterback. But he, he's not going to play in the NFL. Mason Rudolph has a chance to be a top 25, top 30 uh, draft pick next year's draft. I mean, he's special. He's special. He's by far the best quarterback the Bears will see this year. Um, it's all downhill from here uh, in terms of in terms of uh, the caliber of quarterback the Bears are going to be seeing. So tactically, what what do we do from here? If you're going to beat West Virginia this coming week, what do you have to do? I think pray for rain. I think um, Will Greer is a good quarterback. Um, he's streaky. So you might see him look as good, if not better, than than Rudolph for about three drives. And Texas Tech saw that at the end of the game when they were trying to to, to salt away a big lead. Uh, the first half, Greer was not that good. Uh, they've got a good rushing attack. They've got um, some solid receivers. Where West Virginia really makes their hay is big plays down the field and defense. Um, I think we have to find a way to control the clock like we did in the first half. Uh, the running game has to be successful, and that's something that we've, we've really struggled with in the past against West Virginia and that um, their defensive scheme is a 3-3-5. Um, they bring a lot of different blitzes, a lot of different pressures, run blitzes, etc. So it's I'd, I'd love to see uh, I'd love to to replace the turf with some uh, 1985 Soldier Field grass and slow the thing down a little bit because I just don't think we have the talent outside to be able to make them pay. It's it's going to be tough, but we need the bad Will Greer to show up, and we need them to have their one really stinker game because Dana Holgerson usually has one game where everybody scratches his head and goes the heck was that dana i don't know if his toupee gets in the way of something it's something weird happens with west virginia in one game every year baylor has to hope that that happens i think the number one thing that has to happen this weekend for us to be west virginia is he we have to hit will greer early and often you have to throw him off his rhythm if he can get into a rhythm he will absolutely tear you apart texas tech can tell you all about it if we can get after him early and we can hit him similar, honestly, in the way that in the second and third quarter, we got after Baker Mayfield. If we can do that again, we've got a chance in this ball game because we can throw him off his rhythm. The other thing that needs to happen is, is we need for David Sills to like, I don't know, catch the flu or something because that dude's incredible. And I don't think that we have a single corner in the on this team that can even hope to stick with him on a on any sort of route uh i i think we're gonna struggle with him in coverage and we need to just play double coverage on him all day and i think the last thing is i think the uh i think we really need the crowd to get into this game it's homecoming so you hope that it happens uh but i mean that ou game that mclean stadium got got pretty loud and it got it, it got pretty wild and i we need that this week um, everybody's feeling a little down. We've had a couple more losses and we really need homecoming for people to show up and get excited because that's going to be, 
kind of, I feel like the fact that it's homecoming can be an X factor in this game. I think the offense has to find its balance. It's it always looks like one aspect or the other goes well, and the other aspect can't get going. Um, there have been several games this year where we were able to get some big plays throwing the ball, but weren't able to run it worth a darn. This past week was almost the complete opposite of that. We actually ran the ball fairly well, and when we needed to throw it, we couldn't. So I think you have to see a balanced approach offensively, and that starts 100% with the offensive line. And this is going to be our sad song perhaps all year, but you have to give Zach Smith more time to throw. He has to be accurate when he's throwing the ball. I mean, he's Jekyll and Hyde sometimes. I, I love Zach Smith because he's a. I met him a couple weeks ago. He's a good dude, nice as can be, a leader. He's tough. You know, Michael, you've talked some about how, how gritty Zach Smith is and how he stands in the pocket and can take hits and show a lot of leadership, and I agree with that. But he's Jekyll and Hyde. There's weeks he throws the ball perfectly. I mean, he makes throws that, that look like – NFL throws and there's weeks like yesterday he missed a lot of throws even on a couple of his completions the receivers actually bailed him out um I know we talked about drops but he got bailed out a couple times by a poo Strickland um when the ball was thrown poorly and then I think defensively I think you're right I don't think Will Will Greer is great I think he's he's a dude who can make some big plays but I, I I agree with you I think if we pop him you make him uncomfortable early you make a move Get him out of the pocket, make him uncomfortable. Because even Baker Mayfield, who might be the best out-of-pocket quarterback, certainly in the Big 12 and maybe the nation, when we got him out of the pocket, he looked far more uncomfortable than when we gave him time. So I think that's a good point as well. You know, our offensive line coach, I can't pronounce his last name for the life of me. Uh, De Leon. De Leon. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, De Leon said that the offensive line was like the I-35 project. And that quite possibly is the scariest thing that I can think about for Baylor football. Because what he doesn't understand is it's never done. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's troublesome the, part. That's the scary part is that I-35 is still quite possibly the worst road in America to drive down. And um, I think they've been working on it for what, like – 15 years at least 17 at least 17 17 at at least 17 at least and i don't think matt rule has 17 years to get an offensive line to work so yeah the offense is going to predicate on the offensive line and i think that we could just replay that over and over again and we could probably make that the case every single week for the rest of the year yeah one game we can pass deep. One game we can get short passes complete. One game we can run. Scotty's right. We haven't seen a game where all three phases are clicking at the same time. Are we able to run when we need to run? Are we able to take deep shots and complete those shots when we need to? Are we able to complete those third and five, third and eight yard passes, those eight yard curls, complete things over the middle? We haven't seen a single game. OU was the closest and we couldn't run the ball. And it's it's disheartening that we finally find a running game. Finally find a running game against Oklahoma State. And our passing game just devolves into what it was against UTSA. And yeah, Smith didn't have his best game. He had some issues that hopefully he'll be able to correct. He's only a soft. Our receivers had issues as well. 
there's really only sophomores and freshmen out there. Our offensive line, of course, has had issues, as they had all season long. But they finally were able to generate a, a run push. Hopefully, things start to click. You know, I, I think against a, a fast and physical um, defensive line, Oklahoma State builds their defensive line to generate a pass rush. They aren't set up to stop the run first. They're set up to rush the passer. They had, how many sacks did they have? They didn't have that many. They had, give me one second, they had one sack. They had four quarterback hurries, and that you could probably double, and I would still believe. You could triple it, and I'd still believe it. Yeah, they, they were meant to rush the passer and have their, have their safeties and linebackers slow to the ball to stop the run. We made them do that, and that's why we were able to gain four to six yards of carry. West Virginia is different. West Virginia is set up to stop the run first, play tough man coverage on the outside, Wide receivers are going to have to make some plays. Wide receivers are going to have to get open. Zach Smith is going to have to throw some dudes open. And they didn't do that against Oklahoma State. If they want to get that first win, they're going to have to do that against West Virginia. And maybe that's the key, again, is the receivers. And, Michael, you you know, first couple episodes of this podcast, I questioned Mims. I said, we're putting all this hype around Mims. He had a couple of bad drops early. Then he's played like a freak in the middle of the season. And then he just – the next step in his development to get him to the NFL is you got to create separation. It's why all Dallas Cowboys fans are complaining about Des Bryant right now, as he seems to have lost the ability to create uh, his own separation. Denzel Mims, you got to create separation. Pooh Strickland, got to create some separation. When is Nicholson going to start figuring out how to run deep? You know, they're, they're, I think each of those guys has another clear, you know, you're good, but you can take another clear step. And I think we can we can hope that that happens before the end of the season. And like you said, Smith, we have to see the the good side of the Jekyll and Hyde of Zach Smith because he's got all the talent in the world. I think I think for him it's all mental. I, 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 I think, think it, when he gets, I think he's he's kind of like what what I just said about Will Greer. He has to get into a rhythm, and I think you know if he loses his confidence early, he struggles to regain it. You know, if you can get him in a rhythm early, he's he's really he's really great. But you know, if he starts off a little rough, uh, even after that, you know, he needs a good two or three drives of playing well to really settle in. Uh, and if he doesn't, he struggles. Do y'all do y'all buy buy it when Matt Rule says that his struggles because he's getting hit too much? Yes. Yes. He was five of six on his first six. He completed five of his first six passes. He was five of six. Um, and he completed six more passes on 22 attempts. I, you know, six of 22 after he started getting hit. He's so he's so young. I mean, I'm going to actually point to David Carr in the uh, in the NFL. David Carr got sacked a record number of times as the Texans quarterback one year. David Carr was never the same player that he ever was, and it was not for lack of talent. David Carr was a very had a lot of arm talent. Um, I, especially when you're young, if, when you're getting hit as much as Zach Smith's getting hit, yeah, it absolutely affects you. I'd you know, and the fact that he keeps getting back up and the fact that he can even have good games while getting hit as much as he is, is really impressive. Yeah. But let's not forget just to play devil's advocate. I agree with you. He's getting hit a lot. Just to play devil's advocate, the fumble on the goal line 
was not after he had taken a particularly big shot. He just wasn't holding onto the ball. Like Tim mentioned, the fumble that honestly, that that fumble after the muff punt is when we lost every semblance of momentum we had. We looked like we could hang until that play, and that's when Oklahoma State just blew the doors off. So, And that, as Tim mentioned, that was a poor drop back, setting his feet, being careless with the ball. And the interception he threw the, uh, yesterday was not anything but a poor throw and a bad decision. Yep. He had to throw it, though. I'm, I'm not too worried about that interception. He was trying to make something happen down the field and we're getting blown out. That is what it is. But it's is it a symptom or is it just a hiccup? Um, I actually thought his ball security, uh, passing the ball was pretty good. When he missed, he missed correctly. He didn't miss high. He missed low quite a bit. He missed outside quite a bit. That's what you want to see from your quarterback. Um, he struggled this, with this last year as well with happy feet. I mean, any time. I remember them talking about it on the Boise State game. Anytime uh, somebody brought a blitz on him, he was competing like 28% of his passes. He had most of his interceptions at that point. He's gotten better this year at it. The offensive line has gotten worse, but he's gotten better at it. The hope is... Both of those units take a step forward next year. The pass protection gets better. He gets more confident in the pocket, able to stand in the pocket, deliver the balls, not get happy feet, keep his balance, get the proper setups. I mean, that that, that play-action pass that ended in the fumble, if I remember correctly, that was from under center. I believe it was a five-step drop that he turned to like in a six-and-a-half-step drop, and he was kind of hopping up and down. The defensive player made a tremendous play. He should get a lot of credit for it. But simply put, Mims was wide freaking open. And Smith wasn't ready to throw it when he was open because the timing of his feet wasn't correct and it wasn't with the route. That's something that he has to get better at. And I'm pretty confident that was under center. And if I'm not, I'm a moron and you can call me out on Twitter. All right, final final thoughts for listeners. I'll take it. Final thoughts. The process has hit a speed bump. We'd been every game. We'd fought every game. We had a chance to win every game that we were playing. We can no longer say that. Oklahoma State beat the living crap out of us. There's no arguing about that. They were the better team. The only third of the game that we were competitive in was special teams, where we had great punting, we had decent coverage, and we made three of three field goals. Outside of that, they had the best offense, they had the best defense. It wasn't even close. The process starts here. The process starts in how this team and how this fan base reacts to getting their doors blown off. If we can recover, make it close against a very solid West Virginia team, maybe pull off an upset against West Virginia or Texas or Iowa State, um, if that even is an upset. I probably think it is at this point, unfortunately. The process starts here. The process starts in the lessons learned, how we respond, how this team continues to fight is going to say a lot about their future. If they start laying down and giving up, you can kick more players off the team. That's fine. Rule will do that. I think he's shown that during the bye week. But that's not going to fix the problem. He has to be able to keep this team fighting for him. And we saw that in the second half again in a blowout against Oklahoma State. And hopefully we see that for the rest of the year, unfortunately, if we are blown out again. The takeaway for this season, for the Matt Rule era, for literally forever, the this team will only go as far as the offensive line can play. This team is not set up to play behind a weaker offensive line. You are not going to see Matt Rule go out there and run a flex bone military academy team 
to try and accommodate a weak offensive line, it's not going to happen. This team will only be as good as its offensive line is going to be. If we end up with a good offensive line next year and the years following, we'll have a really good team. If we don't, if the offensive line continues to be as bad as it is or gets only marginally better, this team will continue to struggle. Or Matt Rule will completely change his philosophy to try and win. That's it. Yeah, I think I think my takeaway is is I think this game is when I hit the point and one I think Michael you said it earlier where I just had to accept we are not going to win this year. And at this point maybe we're just trying to build for the future. And I'm okay with that. That being said, I started by saying I had questions about the coaching and you know a few question marks in particular. I just want to see improvement in those areas. I don't want to see more timeouts because we can't get lined up. I don't want to see an inability to speed up when you go down by a lot, but you're still in the game. You're down by 20 in the first half. You're still in the game. You just got to you just got to pick it up. You got to start moving quicker. You can't snap the ball like you said 5 seconds on the play clock anymore. And Tim, I think you made a great point. I think the remainder of the games this season is going to say a lot about the respect these players have for this coaching staff and this system. I trust the process. I like Matt Rule. I really want Matt Rule to be successful. But we are going to see how these players fight for this coaching staff. And that's exciting and a little daunting, but should be a ride. And and here's what's great. And here's what's great. And I told, you know, my, my girlfriend did not go to Baylor. And so she's been giving me a hard time. And, and I told her this. I said, you know what? This is just that season. We're going to celebrate hard if a win comes. And that's cool. Next year we can start being critical. But anyway. We rushed the field when I was in college for beating Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what year was that, homie? 2003. <laughs> we, we we won 11 games in my four years at Baylor. We won 11 Ooh. games. I think three, two or Scotty, three conference games. Scotty, I think we won 10 games. We won what? 10 games in year one our freshman year? Yeah. Yeah. And Heisman Trophy. It was good. And, good times. And then 12 twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, Scotty, we, we won 11 twice. 11, we 11 you're right, because we blew two bowl games. We should have won, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that happened. We we Baylor University is less than two decades away from rushing the field for beating Kansas. Hey. So we're okay with celebrating one wins. I, as people uh, people outside the Baylor program talk to me and give me crap about this season, I'm like, hey, man, this is my comfort zone. This is what I'm used to. We were only good for five years. We've been really bad a lot longer than that. So am I used to a rebuild? Yeah. Am I used to being patient? Yeah. Am I used to seeing the uh, the positives in a 40-point blowout? I've done that way too many times to count. And um, this season feels different than those other ones still, even though it is the first one being 0-6 since like 1969 or something like that. This one still feels more like it has a proper destination rather than just playing out the string. And that's good to hear you say because I, I obviously I watched a lot of that era, but I was, you know, eleven and twelve years old and not able to completely understand what was going on. So that's good to hear you say that because I mean it gets hard. Losing sucks. I hate losing. 
I, I imagine you two feel the same, even if it is your comfort zone, Mr. Tim Watkins. <laughs> hey, man, I, I was really excited for the Dane King era my freshman year. I um, remember that. <laughs> he was going to change. That was my freshman season Dane with Dane King, King freshman year. We, we went to Denton. <laughs> we went to Denton and beat those mean green. Showed them what was up. I think we beat them like 24 to 17 in my first game as a student. And um, uh, next game was against Minnesota, and Dane King broke his shoulder. And uh, then, uh, then, then we King. then we went through a bunch of a uh, bunch of uh, uh, quarterbacks that weren't isn't, Dane King. Isn't that and, about uh, the same time that the best part of our team was our punter, Daniel? Spolver? That was after that. Daniel Spolvita. Daniel Spolvita, still one of my uh, uh, brights. I think that was my senior year. Was the year he destroyed a UNT again, North Texas. Oh, that's a good UNT punt return. You can still find that on YouTube. That was Ray Guy, uh, Daniel Sepulveda. Man, I had classes with him. Still, though, still, though. Daniel Sepulveda will always The be most good. upset I've ever been at the Baylor sporting event, for football at least, um, was our humiliating loss, again, to North Texas and Denton when we lost by, like, I don't know, 35 points to UNT. <sighs> Did you I still remember. Did I you hear John remember. Morris's story about that game? No. Was that okay. on your... It was on yes. his podcast. I heard one. it, but I don't remember it. What was when, I had, when I had John for episode one, uh, I was asking him about good and bad calls, and he said, there's one time I made a call on the air That's right. that I said what I should not have said. And I, and, and I said, I want to hear it. And I expect him to say like he, that he dropped like the F-bomb on the air or something. Something outrageous, you know, because John Morris is like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And he's like, I shouldn't have said this on the air. And I was like, what would you say? And he says, well, we were down to North Texas, who I thought we definitely should have beaten. And at one point I said, the mean green 21, the lean green 7 or whatever. <laughs> and he called Baylor the lean green that might have been after the opening second half kickoff that Baylor was receiving, and um, the ball bounced. It was a short, just just high, lofted kickoff. Bounced the Bryles pooch kick line. special. The, the pooch kick special, exactly that, and I think it was on accident. And um, it landed about the twenty or twenty-five yard line, and about four bears just stared at the blasted thing, didn't move, just looked at it. And a UNT player just kind of runs down there and just falls on it. And everyone's was like, first down UNT. I think Baylor had no idea that, oh, my God, you probably should recover that ball. It's live. And, and I just remember screaming the loudest F-bomb <laughs> that I think was humanly possible at that moment <laughs> and just leaving. Just leaving. I just left. I was like, done. I'm out. I'm done. I don't care anymore. It's over. We suck. That almost reminds me of let's let's end on a good memory. It almost reminds me of Terrence Ganaway against Texas Tech. Do you remember Ooh, that play at the kick. Cotton Bowl? Yes, that wasn't supposed to be an onside kick. Mm -hmm. We just kicked it really short by accident, and the Tech players looked at it, and he scooped it and ran it all the way. Man, that was dope. Well, I didn't ask him about. Times. I didn't ask him about that when I asked him when I had him on. I I asked him what his favorite play was, and it was the big run against um, Washington in the Alamo Bowl. But I should have asked him about that play. Anyway, okay, Michael Bartomei, Tim Watkins, this has been fun. <laughs>